Welcome to the Permission to Be You podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you, to push you, perhaps to even provoke you into giving yourself permission to be who you are, to show up in any given moment as you are, even if it's messy. I am convinced with every single fiber in my body that when we do this, we automatically or unconsciously give others permission to do the same. I'm Diane Schwierep and I'm your host. Before I get to my guest, I'd like to talk to you about my program, my online program called How to Go on Camera with Ease. It is a training program and it is designed to help you to learn just that to learn how to go on camera with ease and to make friends with the lens when i did my research about the subject about going on camera with ease i asked my interviewees what is the one thing that stops you what is the one thing that stops you from going on camera Without exception, every single person said that they were afraid of making a fool of themselves. The answers that I got were, what will people think? Will I look funny? Will I sound strange? Will they understand me? Will I add value? Will my words come out easily? Will I find words? Will I sound like a public idiot? and many, many other reasons. But what they don't realize, and what I didn't realize too at the time, was that when I'm worried about what people think, the core issue is, what am I thinking about myself? How do I see myself? And how do I want to be seen? In this program, whilst learning how to make friends with the lens you will learn how to love yourself if you are interested and you want to know more about this online training then you can go to my website butv.com and click on the link how to go on camera with ease thank you now to our guest Today's guest is someone who I met online, like all my other guests, and I think I've spoken to her once. Usually, I hit record, but Del and I, oops, I just gave her name away, decided to have a conversation after she passed a comment on one of my posts in my group, BU Permission, BU TV Permission to BU, and I'll read it just to give you an idea. I posted, I went live in my group and I talked about boundaries. And Del just wrote, love this. And I said to her, may I be a pain and ask you if you could be more specific and what resonated with you? And she very kindly replied and she said, as a former chronic people pleaser, I loved witnessing the freedom you demonstrated in allowing yourself to be you. And if someone has an issue with, the, with that, then it is up to them to talk to you about it 
not for you to edit yourself in fear of upsetting anyone. And I just did this with my hands. Like, mm, I have to have her on my podcast. <laughs> and there and then I just invited her to a conversation. So my guest today is Del. Her saying name is Addy Jones. Uh, I don't know. I know very little about her. So as usual, welcome Delhi. Thank Del, Delhi. My God. Thank you, Del, for accepting my invitation to be my guest. Oh, well, it, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for inviting me on. And I'm ill prepared too, because I haven't a clue what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, that's all right, because I'm never prepared myself. And I like to have, I like my conversations to be organic. So for the benefit of the audience, for the, for, the list, for the listeners, could you introduce yourself? Say where you're from, where you're living. Um, hey, so my name is Del A.D. Jones, and um, originally I'm from the UK, from North Wales, actually. Um, but currently uh, I live in Malibu in California, and I've been here, oh my God, like two thirds of my life at this point. <laughs> Well, almost two thirds. I, I came here when I was 21 and I'm now 61. So 40, 40 years. years, 40 years. And get, but I still feel British. I don't think you can get that out of somebody. So as I say, you know, for me, I've been here for 11 years, but I, I'm so still Maltese. Like, I don't know. You can't ever get it out of you. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much um me and where I live and um, I'm a coach as as uh, many of us are in this in this uh, 3p community and mm -hmm. I also host a, um, a sort of podcast YouTube show called insightful conversations which when we're allowed back in the studio you're going to be a guest on but mm -hmm. right now I'm um, not recording because we're all self-isolating so yes. pretty yes. Much what's happening here right now there's strange times Yep, it is. So back to our, back to the theme of this podcast, which is permission to be you. And mm. I'd like to refer back to what you wrote on the thread, if I may. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As a former chronic people pleaser, can you talk to us? Before, no, let's rewind a bit so that people get to know you a little bit more. Apart from being a coach, what lights you up? What are you passionate about there? Oh, boy. First thing that came in my mind is my children. They're my grown children now, but um, 23 and almost 27. I, that's, I think, for me, was the biggest privilege of my life, <laughs> was being a mother. Mm -hmm. um, what else lights me up? Um, just really um, sharing this understanding really honestly it gave it gave me the freedom that I'd been searching for all my life and, and again as we talked about when we talked it, it's not always you know I still get a cult up and like you said what you know when I describe myself as a chronic people pleaser mm -hmm. that basically dictated how I lived my life was always about outer referencing is everybody else okay am I you know <clears throat> am I being acceptable? Uh, how do they want me to be? Can I twist myself in that pretzel or, or whatever you want? I had no sense of self. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And the reason I said chronic is because it really was chronic. Now it's just intermittent. I still get like that. I mean, it's, it's a hard habit to, to completely rid myself of, but at least I have the awareness that, um, about what I'm doing. And it's, it's basically, for me, I think it's like self-rejection. You know, when you, when you don't have a sense of self, when you're always that chameleon and trying to fit in with what somebody else wants of you, and, and when I listen to you, I just, you know, I just have so much. Well, you asked me what lights me up. What lights me up is when I see people that don't give a damn about what other people think of them. It really does. I'm just like, like a little kid. I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. I wish I was like her. <laughs> Anke Herman, my, my friend, says, when I heard you for the first time, when you just showed up like that for, for the first time, I thought to myself, oh, I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> She's so good at me. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I always say I want to grow up before I die. And part of that growing up is really just honoring who you are, warts and all, and just showing up as you were. I mean, as you are rather, I'm thinking back to when I first came to the States and I was like 21, I used to do costumes on, on movies and um, somebody gave me a book and it was called, um, what you think of me is none of your business. Mm. Oh, sorry, sorry. What you think of me is none of my business. And I thought, what a stupid title of a book. <laughs> of course, what you think of me is my business. And I just couldn't get it. Because that's how um, disconnected I was. Mm. It was all about, and I think, you know, I mean, a lot of my clients I work with are people that grew up in like traumatic childhoods or, you know, abuse or an abandonment. And I think, you know, I mean, we use that word codependent, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't describe the person, just the behavior, the set mm -hmm. of behaviors. Mm -hmm. But the biggest behavior from that is, is the people pleasing. Yeah. Because you're so afraid of abandonment that that you'll do anything to stop somebody from from rejecting you or walking away from you, and that's just a habit that you're in from a child. Yeah. And I grew up in that environment, so it was it was ingrained in me to to be hyper vigilant and hypersensitive to everybody else's needs mm -hmm. to keep everybody happy. And that's going to be my next question because abstract when we talk about something that's abstract people find it hard to identify with and generally speaking i find that after the fact when we see through our narrative it's a bit difficult to to remember how we were what we did but i like to pull out a story from my guests i um, love <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just for the record, I'd like to clarify that the way I show up on live, I don't really care. But I I I do care, but not enough for me not to show up live, for example. But mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I started this podcast is because I needed to learn it myself. Mm. Oh, always. Yeah. <laughs> we always teach what we need to know. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm trying to 
show up in the way and say and come clean and say listen i haven't got it all together i still have the tendency to people please because i too am afraid of being abandoned but i see through it now and and i and i see that showing up as i am is a filter for the people i want to draw towards me and the people to go away the people i will repel because we do repel and attract people Mm -hmm. and that's fine so back to you um can you tell me a story of whilst you were growing up of how you were with your parents and how you tried to adapt because you wanted to be loved can you can you remember something in particular absolutely (laughs) um and I, i just want to say before i give you a broad overview of what my what it was like growing up for me as a child i i totally agree with what you said when we talk about especially when we talk about the principles in a very abstract way i think it's just i I don't know for me i like real life stories this is what happened this is what i saw these were the circumstances i mean we are spiritual beings but we do live in a in a world of form and i think stories are what connects us and it's where we see oh yeah me too Mm. i i love hearing people's stories so i love my story yeah perfect Perfect. So, All we need well, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a glass of wine now because it's wine. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's a bit early for me. Yes. <laughs> I'll have a sip of my water instead. Okay, go ahead. Well, I actually grew up in a really, you know, what my 30 years of therapy called a dysfunctional narcissistic household. Mm. But it was, a, it was a very unusual upbringing. Let's put it that way. Um, So first of all, I was born in 1959, so it was the late 50s. And my mother had, um, bottom line is she met my father. She already had three children from a marriage. And when she met my father, he was still married, well, and still to this day is married to, to his wife and he had children and he lived in a close by village. So my mother was his mistress for about eight years and she had three children with him. I was the middle child. I never met him. I mean, he would come and visit at night and I would hear about him. My mother would shed, you know, how, how, you know, how wonderful it was to see him. And I'd be sort of sitting next to him in bed and the next morning thinking, why, you know, I'm not thinking. And I'd actually say, why doesn't he ever come and visit us? You know? Mm-hmm. And she would say, oh, he can't, he can only come late at night. And the reason why we didn't live in a normal house, we, my mother, to raise money for us, um, turned our little cottage at the time. When I was very young, it was a little cottage, and she made it into a home for mentally handicapped people. Um, so we lived in little trailers, like little caravans in the mm-hmm. backyard. My mum had her own separate caravan, so my father could visit her, and we would never see him. Mm. That's why, you know, we didn't, didn't see him, basically. And then when I was about... I know exactly how old I was because my younger brother hadn't been born yet. When I was about four, my father's wife paid my mother and I a visit. (laughs) I was the only one that was home at the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously she was distraught and my mum was pregnant now with the third child from her husband. And she was very upset and very angry. And I remember thinking in that moment, I just, I remember thinking, oh my God, I should never have been born. I mean, I was, I was young enough to get, that that I felt that I'd hurt this woman, that my mother and I had done something to hurt this woman who was visibly crying and distressed and screaming at my mother. It was, 
I remember thinking, God, what have we done that's so terrible? And I was, still wasn't really getting it because we were growing, we grew up in the countryside. We didn't really have friends or neighbors and I didn't really know what normal sort of family life was like. But when I went to school at five years old, I quickly learned that we were considered very different. We were, you know, sort of shamed and called illegitimate and other names with the B word. And that all the community knew and they were sort of pretty outraged at my mother's behavior. And I'm sure my father's too, but I just know. So it was, so I grew up in that environment. And when you've only got one parent, you, I don't know. I mean, this is how I felt anyway. My mother was quite a fiery woman. And if I didn't absolutely tell her everything she wanted to hear, or even what, what I learned actually is when I, when I spoke up and said something like, well, you know, why can't we see our father? She'd rage and say, aren't I good enough? Aren't I a mother and a father to you? And so it's like, you don't want to lose that. So you learn very quickly to, to shut up, basically. So your mother took it personally. She took it personally. Yeah. I would want a father. Yeah, and so you just, you, I learned at a very early age. I, I, in fact, I do remember once saying, coming home from school, and when I first realized other people lived with mothers and fathers in a normal house, I asked for it. And she pretty much said, oh, my God, I didn't know you want that. Come with me. Oh, that's easy to get if you want it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is great. I wish I'd, I wish I'd asked sooner. And she basically took me to my little caravan and just started piling clothes on the bed and said, it's okay, we'll pack it. You can go and find it. You can go and find that real family you want. And I was like, and it was a lot more dramatic than that. But I remember How old thinking, were you? Oh, probably about five, because I had just... Jeez. So I, you know, I'm, not, I'm telling you, none of this bothers me anymore. Trust me. Okay. But it was really clear to me, like, oh, my God, if I ask for what I want, I'm in danger. I'm, I'm going to be, like, thrown out. And nobody's going to look after me then. And then just even after that, it was, by the time, it was quite funny, by the time I was nine years old, my mum rented this massive, great big mansion. She got the bank manager to loan us some money and she literally a giant, great big rambling mansion. And she filled it with mentally ill people that had just been discharged from the local big mental institution that was shutting down. In our little house, we'd only had maybe about 10 people living with us. And then all of a sudden we had 50 mentally ill people living with us and we didn't have a separate part of our house we had you know I lived on one wing um, but it's the first time I actually had a bedroom inside a house so I was thrilled but all around me were these mentally ill people and we didn't have locks on our doors we didn't have a separate living unit my mother did on the other side of the house but she had a lock on her door so we couldn't get to her mm. if we wanted her so there was just a lot of really chaotic painful and, you know, and again, there was some abuse um, because I was a very needy little girl, <laughs> desperate for male attention. And um, it's not uncommon to have, especially when you don't have a father, for some people to take advantage of that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was different things going on. So bottom line is I was hypervigilant and um, had all these, you know, classic sort of codependency descriptions, as I say, people pleasing, um, staying in very painful relationships when I should have left. Mm. But you are so sort of insecure in a way that you stay much, much longer than you should have. 
Hmm. That's pretty much, that's sort of it in a nutshell. How, how did you, I mean, just before we started recording, you said that you were 21 when you ended up in the States. Mm-hmm. And how did you end up there? Yeah, well, I, when, when my mother started making money, when she opened, um, I'll, I'll give a little backstory. Um, I, she sent us to a private school, to a convent, to be, to be educated. And it was just by nuns. And it was really, the nuns knew our story. So that wasn't very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but they took my mum's money anyway. And, but, but it wasn't, I, I, I hated school, basically. And I was really good at art. And when I was about 16, it was the first, no, 15, it was the first time we had a lay teacher, like a non non-clerical teacher come in and she was our art teacher and she was like oh my god you you can go to art school right now at 16 uh, leave school early go to art school and do your a levels in art school and I was like oh my god there's a way out so I um I went to art school at 16 and then I went into fashion design did that well studied that but ended up thinking that I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to go back and I wanted to go into psychology. So I had a place in Richmond to go and study psychology. And in, in between, I had a friend in LA who had a free ticket and she was like, Hey, come and visit before you go back to school. Mm. And so I arrived in LA on holiday and I was wearing a jacket I've made because I can sew and pattern cut and everything as well. And somebody, it was like this classic Hollywood story. <laughs> I was on a boat in the marina and somebody came up to me and went, oh my God, that is the coolest jacket. Where did you get it? And I said, oh, I made it. And he was like, oh my God, you can sew and, and make things and design. And he said, give me a number and I'll, if you want, I can get you a job next week working with some really cool um, British designers that live here. And I was like, okay and I didn't think anything of it I gave him my number anyway just and um anyway as it happened in within literally a week I got a call from somebody they wanted me to make something for a I think it was a Calvin Klein commercial or something like that and I just started working and I was like god this is insane I'd never I'd, I'd never had dreams of coming to Hollywood and working in Hollywood but it just was laid out right in front of me so I called my college back in London and I just said listen I'm like having this adventure here and they were so cool they said oh well you know in psychology we really love people to have life experience before studying it said hey take your time we'll hold your place for you oh so that's what happened and I never went back <laughs> bottom line <laughs> and so said, uh, yeah carry on I was gonna say I just spent I spent 15 years until I got married and had I worked the day I had my first son but I worked in Hollywood and I did, you know, commercials, stills, movies, music videos were huge back then. And you, so, wow, I think I'd better not go there because I'm a movie crazy. Oh, no, mine would, no, mine would be movies, trust me. <laughs> there wouldn't be anyone you'd ever seen. <laughs> but someone you've talked about, I'm curious to know when you got your first insight, but before we started recording, once again, you said someone gave you a book about and it was called what you think of me is none of my business can you tell me a bit about that you know it's so funny I can't tell you what was in the book because I didn't read it I remember 
I remember thinking, this is the stupidest title I've ever heard in my life. Of course, what you think of me is is, is important to me. Yeah. Um, and it was years later that, you know, clearly after, you know, 30, almost 30 years of therapy, but certainly coming across the understanding of the principles. I've actually been on a spiritual path since I was 21. I was suicidal at 19. I, I was... Um, I was living in um, Tenerife at the time. I had left home at 16 and had traveled around a bit too, as well as being at college. When I got here, it was a very, in California, it was the early 80s. It was very, there's a lot of spiritual teachings and things like that going on, uh, workshops, self-improvement. And I just, I was like, there's got to be, there's got to be something that makes sense here because my life was chaotic. And as I say, I was, you know, feeling suicidal just didn't think I when you were 19 mm -hmm. I'd had a really I'd had some really really crazy experiences up until that point and I just felt like I'm not equipped to live in this world you know everybody else seems to be able to manage it but I'm too sensitive I'm too you know not enough that was the other thing I think growing up without a father I mean I would pass him every day going to primary school between the age of five and nine and um, or passing where he lived and sometimes he'd be out in the street and he never even looked at us he never acknowledged us and I made up this story that you know I just wasn't good enough if I was clever enough pretty enough something enough he would he'd want to sort of acknowledge me as his daughter and I think children unfortunately they they, they can make up those stories I mean now I mean yes. Completely untrue. Of course, you know? but, but that's all we have to gauge on. That's all yeah. we have to depend on, on the yeah. love of our parents. And that's where we look for it until yeah. we realize at a later age, perhaps when it's a bit too late, that our parents fuck up. They make yeah. mistakes because they're human. Exactly. And that was the other thing is that um, I think also as a child, if you make yourself wrong, then if you change yourself, there's a chance of making the situation right. Whereas if you acknowledge that, hey, this person's just incapable or doesn't, whatever their reasons are, we'll never know. That's, you know, thank God, separate realities. Why even go down that rabbit hole of trying to yeah. figure out what was going through their mind? Yeah. But I think that's just a coping mechanism that children do. They're like, gosh, I have control now. If I make myself better, I can control the outcome. Yeah. And then you realize it's futile. You just spend years on that sort of treadmill, that trap of self-improvement. And then it becomes a habit. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you have your first insight? When did you have your first glimpse before you met the principles? Because oh as I told all my other, as I tell all my other guests, I never talk about the principles. I did make a, a, a two episodes about them so that people could refer to them. Yeah. I'd like to know when you had, since the principles are running through us all the time, we're living mm -hmm. the principles. I want to know, before you met this understanding, when did you had your first glimpse into knowing that Del is beautiful, is lovable, is wanted, is enough, is worthy? When did you have that first glimpse? I have to say it really was after I came across this understanding because prior to that, I, have, I actually have a master's in spiritual psychology, a two-year program where we talked about the oneness. We talked about that, you know, 
it, we talked all about this. And I used to think to myself, God, I just wish I, I wish what I know up here, I felt in my heart, mm -hmm. but I still felt broken. I still felt not good enough. I, it didn't matter. And I had done every single workshop on the planet. I think more workshops than anybody since I was 21, read every single self-help book. I knew every syndrome. I knew what number I was on the Enneagram. I knew, <laughs> I, just, I knew everything, nothing. What number are you on the Enneagram? I'm a four. <laughs> I'm a four too. <laughs> I'm a misunderstood artist. <laughs> oh. But um but but I just um nothing could fill that void. I just it was more, more, another workshop, another this. And it was truly when I came across the understanding of the principles, I was like, I just it was the first time I really knew. I How knew, old were you? Oh, well, I first came across them. 11 years ago, but I didn't get it at that level then. It was really only in the last four years that I, three even I'll say, because even the first year, the last four years I've been really, you know, teaching, living everything, this understanding. But I still think for the first year still, there was an exception and I was the exception. <laughs> that, you know, that I was still, there was still something to be improved upon. But I think, so, so I, I can't really say there was a big aha moment. Hmm. It was for me. Really just a slow dripping. And then all of a sudden it just, I really, really, really knew. It was so can exciting. you describe it? Can you remember when it happened? Like I said, because it was such a drip, drip, drip. I can't even really, there were moments. No, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, I was a mentee of the Pranskys, I think, Paul, Paul, Linda and George. <laughs> I think even, as I was, even as I was going through that, there was still the yeah, buts, yeah, buts. Yeah. I still had insecurity. And I think it was actually in a class with Rohini Ross that I, I heard something different. I think with George and Linda, I still thought that I shouldn't be, have a busy mind, that I shouldn't be sped up that I shouldn't this. Rohini, I heard, it's okay to be sped up and have a busy mind. Yes. It's okay to experience anything. Okay, I'm going to do something I, uh, I never do. Yeah. Since you're really passionate about it now, and like me, I came across the principles in 2017. Can you, without going delving deeply into the principles can you tell me what you saw when you heard Rosine, uh, Rohini for yourself that switched um, just what did you see what did you feel I knew that there wasn't a well what I heard in that moment and I'm going to tell you about another experience I had where I really got it on another level too but what I heard was, it's okay to be human. It's okay to have feelings that we're not looking for perfection. We're not, we understand that we can get caught up in our thinking, but we don't have to do anything about it. Just even seeing that is, is, is enough. Mm -hmm. And that I don't need to change that experience. And I, cause I still, I, I was still under the illusion that I was supposed to get rid of this busy mind. <laughs> I mean, poor George and Linda, they'd probably die if they heard me saying that because 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I think of the people who, who the positive thinkers, think positive, yeah. think positive. Oh my God. And, uh, to me, it, it, it really doesn't make any sense to me, but anyway. Oh my God, before I came across the, well, like in 2015, I think I took a positive psychology class. <laughs> I was so damn depressed at the end of it. <laughs> we had to rate how many times we had a negative thought in the day. And I, I, was, I went into it going, oh yeah, I'm such a positive person. I'm going to rate so high here. And then if I wasn't perfect and I rated at like 60 or 70% or 80%, I started feeling bad about myself. Such hard I, work, so counterintuitive, my exactly. God. It was crazy. And I remember I got to the sort of, about two thirds of the way through it. I actually got to the end because I was, I was supposed to take an exam. And I just said, this is bullshit. I'm not even taking this exam. This is so, I'm more like depressed than I was before I started yeah. this because I've had to rate myself and basically rate and berate myself for having negative thoughts. Exactly. And so what I was going to tell you, what, where I really, I had an experience. I went to Peru um, last year, actually this time last year with Jack Pransky. And we were all having this magical experience <laughs> in this beautiful garden. And I was sort of meditating in this little place. And it really just struck me that we would never have been created with the capacity to feel the wide range of emotions we feel if we weren't meant to. Mm. It just really hit me like there's no way that would have been created if it was bad. The mm. fact we label it as, you know, and I think I shared this with you before. I used to be a, a shadow coach, which is where you reclaim all the disowned aspects of yourself. And they have a wonderful uh, metaphor they use where we say, we're, you know, we're born into a mansion with many, 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 many rooms. And some of the rooms are anger. Some of the rooms are jealousy. Some of them are oh, happy. Yes. And all these different rooms, <clears throat> excuse me, and in society, we're told, oh God, don't go in that room. That's a bad room. No, anger's bad or selfishness is bad or yeah. greed is bad. And so you keep sort of shutting all these parts of yourself mm -hmm. off and you end up living in a two bedroom flat. You know, <laughs> of like, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be nice. <laughs> it's like, no, you're supposed to be everything. Everything yeah. that you were given the ability to feel is okay to feel. And and that really was like, absolutely. And I got that so clearly. And, you know, just even now, even last night, I mean, last week, we were talking early before we started recording. I had a complete nutter meltdown. And it wasn't about fear of my health with the coronavirus, but it was, I was impacted. My, my income was, was drastically uh, um, impacted. Yeah. with big ramifications of mortgage payments and things like that it's I basically I'm, I'm a landlord of a restaurant that had to close down and they don't have the money to pay the rent which I pay to the mortgage company so it's ooh, you know moment there but I didn't I didn't judge it at all it would have been that flood of emotion that came through me and that fear and the and the all all that stuff that came towards me if I tried to stop it and control it, it would have been like me standing in front of a freight train. There was no, I would have, I would have been bowled over. Um, I just knew I just had to let it happen. 
and I know enough to know that it does pass and it's going to pass a hell of a lot quicker if I don't resist it. Yes, indeed. And I just, and I just indulged myself in, in a fearful bad mood. I wasn't very pleasant to be around. I was sort of acting out a little bit, you know, yeah. having a little tantrum. I mean, my boyfriend is so loving and amazing. He just gives me a wide berth when I feel that way. Yes. But it, I, I never judged it for one second. I never thought this is something I shouldn't be feeling. Mm. I know better. I understand the principles. I understand I'm feeling my thinking right now. It was just like, hell no, I'm, I'm feeling it and it's okay. And then it passed. So you give yourself full permission to show up as you are without fear of being rejected. Yeah, absolutely. Now I do with, with him, certainly. <laughs> so yeah, he sees, he sees the warts and all, which is mm. fine. Yeah, no, I, I, I um, am still, I suppose I'm still polite, let's put it that way. Mm. But I don't, I don't self-sacrifice like I used to. Um, Certainly. So much work. It is trying so to adapt. It's so much work. Exactly. Mm. Wow, what a story, Dell. Yeah. But you know what I learned too? I, uh, we live in, you know, in America. We have a very divided country politically. Yes. And, I, and that to me is a perfect example. Um, like we had a president a few years ago who I just thought was the best thing since I spread. I loved him. Yes. But half the country hated him. And I thought, how can that be? He's amazing. He's this, he's this, he's this. And now I'm in the other camp of not being terribly happy. And yet half the country love him. And that to me just goes, shows me that, it doesn't, you might as well show up as you are because you're going to have those people, as you said earlier, that are going to be attracted to you and love you and the ones that are going to be repelled by you. You're just not their thing. So for me to, to spend so much of my life trying to make everybody love me, as you said, it's exhausting and it's not realistic. No, and, and, and it, it would be really boring. And I mean... I mean, ideally, I meet a lot of people who say, I, I want to be liked by everyone. It's in, one, it's impossible. Yeah. Two, you wouldn't have a personal life. Exactly. You would have no, solid, no, no, no alone time. You would have to navigate all the relationships that would come with it. So it's, it's, it's a perfectly natural cycle of life, a natural, natural being of life. We just, we just repel some and attract others. And to yeah. me, this is, I, I really, really, really am convinced with every fiber in my body that this leaning into our imperfections is, can be the one way we all find peace. And when we do find peace, we'll see peace around us. But that, that's just my vision, my, my, my philosophy. I completely agree with you and and the other thing is when you are trying to please everybody you're not really showing up honestly so nobody's really loving you because there's a fake you out there there's this front that you put on and how can anybody really really love that so you're better off completely dropping that 
persona that you think is going to make people happy. Show up with your warts and all and genuinely have intimate relationships with people that really get you and love you and enjoy being with you. And then you, and then you also like let go of the, of the other people and it's far less, as you say, far less stressful on you. Um, you're not, you know, you have more time for yourself, which we all need as well in love. So mm. it's, it is, it's a, but I used to take everything personally. Mm. That was another thing. I, oh my God. I, it was like I said, it's like, how can it not be about me? Mm. You know, if, a, if an old boyfriend split up, split up with me, it was always about because I wasn't good enough. Never because we weren't a good match. That couldn't have even entered into my consciousness. <laughs> it was like, no, it's because I'm not enough because I should be able to win everybody over. Mm. Such a, I mean, such innocent, crazy thinking. Yeah. And I have so much compassion for myself in those crazy days as well. I really do. It's just, I was just doing the best I could with the thinking I had at the moment. Exactly. You know, like we all are. Mm. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and I have nothing more to add or to ask. I think we touched upon a lot. Oh, well, what do you think? I, I thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you, meeting you in person and um, yeah, it was fabulous. I definitely, definitely enjoyed it and enjoy being with you. You yeah, are my tribe. <laughs> me too. And on that note... Thank you very much for being my guest there. Oh, it was wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, may I invite you to go to my website, butv.com, where you can find all past published episodes. You can also subscribe by going to the homepage for you to be kept up to date with all upcoming episodes. Bye for now!